Our scripture this morning, we're in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, and we will begin in verse 1. We'll go through verse 21 as we read. In your pew Bibles, I believe that's on page 1002-1003 in that area. So uh, again, it's the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And there it's written. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went away to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began to discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves and for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven, for the 4,000, how, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Please join me in prayer. O oh, holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So first off, as we get started here, there's a lot going on in our scripture reading today. In fact, 
we, we have three different scenes of Jesus with his disciples. And, and so you're wondering, can Nathan cover it all in the 20 minutes we've allowed for him to cover? Uh, the answer is no, but the good news is we're only going to cover part of it and focus on part of it today. And so you'll be relieved we'll still hit the time slot that you so desire. I desire it too. I think talking too long is talking too long. But this, this scripture reading, I mean, because there's a lot going on. So it starts with the feeding the 4,000. And you're like, but wait, wasn't there a feeding of the 5,000? Yes. In Mark, we get two stories, two feeding stories, separate events. There's a lot of similarities, right? There's no food. There's compassion upon them. But it's different. This crowd was with Jesus for three days. The other crowd, one day. The 5,000 crowd, he broke them up into groups to feed them. And this one, he just had them all sit right where they were. One had five loaves and two fish. This one had seven loaves and some fish. Um, it, the 5,000, they ended up with 12 baskets. And the 7,000, or the 4,000, they ended up with seven baskets of pieces left over. So the same, yet different, which is what leads Jesus to being perplexed at the end because he's like, you've seen this twice. Do your eyes not work? Do your ears, are they not working on you anymore? Do you not yet understand as they're sitting there wondering in this boat, we only have one loaf with us. How could we ever have one loaf enough to feed the 13 of us in this boat? Jesus is like, I used five for 5,000 and seven for 4,000. One loaf, this is going to be an easy one, right? Like, he's just like, you don't get it? Like, I'm, I'm here. I'm with you. I am the bread of life. That's where Jesus is getting at when he says, do not understand. I am the one for you to rely on for all sustenance. There's nothing here you can bring on your own or that is part of you on your own that is good without Christ. And so that's where Jesus is going. And so, but again, he feeds the 4,000 and immediately they get in the boat to go somewhere else. They don't get to stay and enjoy and, and teach longer as people have just witnessed this massive miracle. So they get on the boat and they go to another place. And as soon as they land, Jesus is met with Pharisees who are trying to test him. And this time they're asking for a sign and Jesus is just so fed up and frustrated with it all because nobody is understanding what's happening. So he's frustrated so much so where he just gets in the boat and leaves. He, you know, they went there on purpose and, and Jesus is so frustrated. He's, he said, no, we're just getting in the boat and going to the other side. So now again, we see the disciples in the boat with Jesus. And if we begin to count up the time spent in a boat of Jesus and his disciples, it begins to amass to a great amount of their ministry together was on this boat together in which they got to learn and talk things through, in which Jesus overheard many conversations. Now this time they get on the boat, there's no storm brewing. There's not waves crashing where they're going to sink and where Jesus is asleep. Nor is it another time when they begin to feel lost and they're working so hard they can't make it to shore and Jesus comes walking on water. No, they're there in the boat to go to the other side and they only have one loaf of bread. And Jesus looks at them 
being frustrated with the Pharisees. Maybe we hear a bit of frustration in his voice here with the disciples. And he gives them a warning. In verse 15, he says, And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Who talks like that? Now we have to go into this understanding of leaven and what Jesus means in this saying. Sometimes I read scripture and I go, could you just say it in plain Texan for me? And it's... and so we go in, into this, and that's what we're really going to study on, because there's been times in my life I've come across many scriptures like this, where I'm like, the leaven of Pharisees, leaven of Herod. All right, next page. Let's move on. And, 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 and so it just kind of, it's easy to skip over sometimes on the things we don't really fully understand and necessarily want to put into the Word. But that's where our focus will be today, because here Jesus is cautioning his disciples Before he gets frustrated with them for not understanding, he gives them a caution because there's there's something about that's going on that they're they're in this relationship with Jesus. They've been walking with Jesus. They see his ministry. They follow him everywhere he goes. They've put their faith in him, yet he still feels the need to caution them about the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, In Scripture, when it talks about leaven or yeast, it most often refers to evil and or sin. And so so leaven is not a good thing. Yeast is not a good thing. Paul, when he writes to the church in Corinth, um, they're having all sorts of issues in the church of Corinth. There's divisions going on there. People are boasting. Some people are keeping others from eating and eating without them all sorts of issues going on in the church of Corinth. And Paul gets to the point in chapter 5 where he's like, you've got to get rid of some of this sinful attitude within yourself and within your church. And he says in chapter 5, for a little bit of leaven, leavens the whole lump. That is, that a little bit of leaven, a little bit of yeast, when you mix it with the dough, gets all of the dough. And if you don't, cut it out and take it out, your whole lump will be leavened. And so Jesus is warning against uh, your heart, the hearts of the disciples and our hearts being leavened by the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And so we're going to look at the leaven of the Pharisees first. Now, if, if we were to do a little bit of a pop quiz or a survey that goes out to your email and start asking you, hey, what is your general consensus? If you could use one word to describe the Pharisees, what would you use? And, and given some options, the majority of you would end up selecting self-righteous. That, that really describes the, the Pharisees. They're self-righteous for they believe themselves to be morally superior than everyone else that they encounter. Even people in their own faith, they believe they're morally superior even to the Sadducees and the scribes. And that they are totally correct in their understanding of the faith. But we would also notice that as Jesus interacts with them and talks with them about the faith and the things that are going on, we might want to add an adjective and say hypocritically 
self-righteous. Jesus cautions his disciples and cautions us against thinking that we are morally superior to anyone. Other Christians, other believers, and other people in this world. Or that, you know, we're even totally correct. Sometimes we, we tend to fall in this trap where we would rather be right than loving. And in that causes a whole host of issues within any relationship you have, right? We all wonder, is this the hill I'm willing to die on? Boy, we are willing to die on a lot of hills just to be right. Jesus warns us against this leaven of the Pharisees. You know, because they have this self-belief that sin is something others do. It's no longer a part of them, right? It has been fleshed out, worked out. They, they are morally superior. They not only keep all of the commands of God, but they keep the commands of the priest and the traditions of the elders, and, and they have extra rules that they follow for extra good points. Jesus warns against this because it hardens the heart and because it's anti-gospel. It is against the gospel. For if your faith has led you to a point to where you look around and you say, well, you know, I'm better than so-and-so. Or to where you find yourselves willing to die for a lot of hills just to be right. So much that you believe and act and live in the world as if you are morally superior to anyone. You might be trapped in the leaven of the Pharisees. Luke preached last week on the parable of the lost sons or the parable of the prodigal son as, as we understand it. And, and he pointed out the elder brother. The elder brother fell into the trap of the leaven of the Pharisees, right? The elder brother believed he was the best brother, the best son, the one who did it all right and did it the right way. Therefore, he is the one who deserved to be celebrated. He alone is the one who deserved the party, that his little brother, the younger brother, the one who wished his dad was dead and took his inheritance, not only took it, but then squandered it, is completely undeserving. Why didn't I ever get a party with my friends? I'm the good one. This is the leaven of the Pharisees. And you see that his heart had become hardened to his father. For when his father went, receives back his lost son and is so overjoyed, he's not. His heart is hardened to his father and stands off and away from him. And that's not what the gospel does to us. Rather, the gospel reminds each of us that we have a sinful nature, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. It tells us in the Psalms, and Paul reminds us in his letter to the Romans. 
In fact, we're so far off that there is no possible way we can be reconciled to God except through the very blood of Jesus Christ. The scriptures tell us our good works, our good deeds apart from Christ are but filthy rags. We have no righteousness to count for ourselves that gain us anything with God. But rather, it's through Jesus' perfect sacrifice on the cross where he's our substitute and he takes on our sin for us that Luther says this is what happens. He, he puts on, we put our sin on him. He takes on our sin and he puts on us in this great exchange, his righteousness. So we are only righteous because of Christ. Not because of anything we have ever done in our lives. We are not morally superior than anyone other than the very fact God has had mercy on us. We didn't deserve this. We didn't earn this. We didn't cash in a token or a golden ticket. Rather, God loved us and while we were yet sinners, had mercy upon us. And so we can't boast in ourselves. We can only boast in Christ, in his goodness, in his righteousness. Now, the, the, the other warning, the other caution Jesus gives here is the leaven of Herod. Herod is, is king, Herod's king of, of Israel during this time. Uh, and Herod, being a king, right, doesn't really need help from anyone. He can say the words and it happens in his kingdom. Right? He can just snap his fingers, it happens. He's very self-sufficient in this way. And, and that's what Jesus is warning against is this malicious self-sufficiency as if we could do this all on our own. And Jesus warns again against this because it's opposite of the gospel and it hardens our hearts. Right? We're sitting here today and we are all fully aware that we have survived a hundred percent of the bad days we have had up until now. We've all done it. You're here. You've survived all of them. But you didn't do it alone. And that's where that leaven comes in, the leaven of Herod that begins to, to trick us where we think, well, I did this by myself. You know, this next problem am I, I'm in, instead of God being the first option, God is our last option. We think we can just pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and figure it out as we go. The leaven of Herod. Rather, we're called to rely on him because we have a sin nature. We can't save or redeem ourselves. Salvation is beyond us. Right? In, in the same, it, salvation requires perfection. Sorry to burst your bubbles this morning, but perfect we are not. And maybe for some it bursts your bubbles and maybe for others this is a great relief. Yes, we are not perfect, nor do we have to be because we have a Savior. For if our salvation was totally up to us, we wouldn't have it. It would be gone. None of us would be saved. In fact, Scripture goes so far as to say, again in the Psalms, and Paul quotes it, that 
none seek after God. That it took God intervening into our lives, piercing our hearts with the Spirit. That we then repent. We make that turn from our sinful nature and, and going and rebelling against God and we turn back towards Him. No one sought after God until Christ came and called us. Our salvation is 100% dependent on God. Both self-righteousness and self-sufficiency, well, they're products of our sinful nature that goes back to our pride and our ego. That's really where Jesus is going back to. And it, and it manifests in those two ways, that I'm morally superior than others, or I did this on my own. I can do it on my own. Oh, but beware of letting a little bit of leaven into your heart. You can leaven the whole thing. For the gospel of Jesus Christ, it says while we were yet sinners, not when we had it all figured out and we were already better than everyone else, not when we had saved ourselves, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel of Jesus Christ says that we could not save ourselves. The gospel of Jesus Christ says that what we are deeply in need of is a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. Jesus, and the reason Jesus warns these disciples hardens the heart. They're in the boat. They've been there. They've seen the miracles. They're following Jesus. They're, they're starting to grasp everything, but yet there they are with only one loaf and not understanding that they don't have to rely on themselves, but the only one that gives them hope and that they can rely on in this world is sitting in the boat with them. He says, do you not yet understand it? It's Jesus. So Christ comes and softens our hearts. He, he humbles us. The gospel itself does not lead us to stand up proud with our chest, with our chest puffed up. Rather, the gospel of Christ leads us to our knees and humbles us before God. Like David in Psalm 8, when he calls out, what is man? You are mindful of him. But we realize we don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. In fact, we're really, really messed up. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God he loves us and sent his son to live and die and be resurrected for us, for our only hope in life and death is not in ourselves or in others, but it is in Christ and Christ alone. And when we realize this incredible grace, this incredible patience and, and this loving kindness God has had with us, we don't, we don't stand taller and walk prouder, but yet we walk gentler, we walk more generous. And there's fruits that come from it in our lives. 
fruits of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen.